0: Welcome to the Wellness Renaissance Podcast. Exploring topics to help you find the pieces that fit into your health puzzle.
1: We presented this in Minneapolis, so we asked like a room of 200, 250 folks um, what sex education looked like. This woman stood up and she said that their sex education was the teacher was at the front of the room um, with a paper, like a construction paper heart, and said, okay. Um, I want all of the boys to come up and take a piece of the heart. However big, however small, just take a piece of the heart. And so they did. And then they said, this is what happens when you have sex. <laughs> oh
2: and <my>. was- <laughs> so the heart was to represent a woman or a girl. Yeah. <laughs> and the boys got it. Slowly take, take pieces away. Oh
1: and my like it- totally framed it into this shameful, like, you are going to devalue yourself by having sex sort of conversations. And then they leave it up to school districts to decide in Minnesota if they want to talk to kids about contraceptives, if they want to talk to kids about medically correct information, and if they want to have, like, a trained educator. So... So You said they have an option. Sorry, I just have a hard time with that. They have an option to teach medically correct information. What does that mean? So like teaching kids about their body parts and how it works. And um, but that's apparently something that is up to school districts to decide if they want to teach that to children. What happened was we as adults
2: failed them and then we punished them for not knowing any better because we failed them to begin the conversation while doing something else together. Uh, and I love Kylie's tip of kind of looking in the same direction. So while you're driving in the car with them or gardening or whatever you're doing together, that it's not like, this is the whole center of everything. Is this very intense conversation we're going to have. It's like, nope, this creates the culture that it's going to be casual and that it's, it can be open.
1: And again, I think embracing that vulnerability Saying, you know, they make me a little uncomfortable too, but it's something important for us to talk about. And even saying, well, why why does it make us uncomfortable? Because we don't talk about it. So the more that we are able to talk about it, the less uncomfortable or embarrassed it's, it becomes. I like what you said in your whole question
2: of why does this make us uncomfortable? Bringing everybody, everybody into it. Yeah, I think most sex education and most sex talks from parents to kids are are devoid of pleasure and intimacy and really just focused on the act of sex itself Um, and maybe talking about trust with a partner there. But even then, we're not having that conversation at all. We're not talking about how to build trust or, you know, that pleasure is supposed to be a part of this experience as well.
0: Hey, you guys, this is Judy with Wellness Renaissance and the Wellness Renaissance podcast, that was a lot to share with you in the beginning, but I wanted to show you how many different directions we're going to go on this podcast discussion. And of course, so many more. That's just a little teaser. The voices you heard were Kylie Pass and Katie Dahl. They are with First Witness. And I had the chance to see them speak at a conference and it was a Packed plus room. It was so great to see so many people interested in having the conversation, open minded, and sort of realizing this is something that we do need to talk about. And what I think makes their approach so hearable and important and helpful is that they're not telling people what to believe, it's not about judgment in any direction. But it is getting very real with the conversation that porn is everywhere. And it's something that kids have access to probably much more than we realize. We know that telling kids not to watch it doesn't work for a multitude of reasons. Um, Think about yourself as a kid, and you can probably figure that one out pretty quickly. And it's a much better, healthier situation if we can try to figure out how to navigate that instead of just... Kind of bury our heads in the sand, right? So, if you've got kids at home or you have kids in your life, they give us a lot of great perspectives and things to think about and ways to approach conversations, not only about the words we might use, but how we might think about it in our own heads before approaching them and even our body, how we stand with them, as you heard in the beginning. So, I'm excited to take you in. Before I do that, I, of course, want to thank all of you listeners for listening to the podcast. Also, for those who share the podcast. If you know somebody who's struggling having this conversation, maybe just trying to figure out how to think about this themselves, and they've got kids or they have partners that they're struggling with talking to, this might, you know, help frame things. And there's some great resources in here that they're going to give for parents and for kids So keep that in mind for whatever your needs might be. I, of course, want to thank all of the people who support the podcast on Patreon and help chip in and support the work and the mission. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And this is a wonderful opportunity to share with you a little bit more about the wonderful folks supporting the Wellness Renaissance podcast. Green Home Solutions. They're your indoor quality experts and I have to tell you they're doing a cool thing. Something you might want to know about. Do you have a basement or a crawl space that feels a little scary to kind of like dig into the actual nitty-gritty of cleaning and maybe you don't fully know what's down there? Maybe you're buying a new house or... Maybe you just still aren't ready to go back to the gym and you want to buy some exercise equipment and you want to put it in your basement, but you know that you really need to like freshen it up and make it feel like a place you want to go. Well, if you need a little help, a little inspiration, or just a little bit of transformation, these guys are here to help you out. They work top to bottom from floor joists to floors. They are going to vacuum everything carefully, wipe everything down with their enzymatic all-purpose cleaner. And if there's stain lifting and or mold remediation to be done, they will help you with that too. So check it out. It might be one of those things in the new year you're kind of like needing to refresh. And, you know, you've done all the other cleaning in the house and organizing perhaps due to being home with COVID if you are one of those folks. So maybe this is the next step, the one thing you haven't tackled yet. Reach out, get a quote, see what they can do for you. You can find them at greenhomesolutions.com. You can call Steve and his crew here in Duluth at 218-576-5293. Tell them you heard about them here on the Less Renaissance podcast. Okay, if let's get to it. Let's head on in with Katie and Kylie. All right, you ready? Yes. yes. Okay, sweet. Well, let's dive in. Our topic today is porn, which is something that People sometimes really want to talk about and sometimes really don't want to talk about or really want to talk about but know, but feel uncomfortable talking about. There's a lot of different feelings about that. So let's have a conversation and maybe attempt to normalize some things and create some awareness. So have at it.
2: All right. Well, my name is Katie Dahl. Um, I'm a forensic interviewer and a trainer with an agency here in Duluth, Minnesota called First Witness Child Advocacy Center. Uh, And prior to that, I worked in a gender equity resource center on the campus of UW-Superior. So um, some pretty different jobs. One was working, you know, with um, the queer student body on campus. And my job now is working with children who have alleged different forms of abuse in part of the criminal justice investigation. Uh, But there is a lot of overlap in some of the themes that I've seen in those careers, too. And that's what led me to having an interest in porn but how we talk to kids about porn and have conversations with other people about porn and how it impacts our lives.
1: And I am Kylie Pass and I'm a family advocate and trainer at First Witness Child Advocacy Center. Um, And so what Katie's job is, is to talk to the kids. And then my job is to follow them through whatever comes next. Um, So I work with children and families through child abuse investigations, or um, even if their investigations are closed, I still provide like emotional support, helping with resources. Um, I do prevention work. So I'm also a prevention educator going to the schools to talk to kids about safe and unsafe touches, which is my definitely my big wheelhouse um, at First Witness. I love doing the prevention work for sure. I like getting to go and have those conversations with kids, which is, um, I think, why Katie asked me to kind of hop onto this presentation with her. Prior to that, I worked as a uh, advocate for a domestic violence shelter and I interned there. And so that's really my background is DV and child abuse. And it's it's all a very interesting intersection. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, it is. They do intersect for sure. So let's talk about that. And and you can kind of start where it feels appropriate to start. But I think, you know, the, the purpose, the purpose that I wanted to have you guys on is because porn is one of those things that is, it's a very complex topic, right? And people do have a lot of feelings about it. And there are real effects, you know, good, bad. I mean, it's in our culture. It's just here. Right, so looking at it from the lens, and I and I love that you guys look at this from the lens of your approach. Is it's not it's not good or bad, but it is right. Am I right about
1: that? Yeah, like a values neutral. Like we're not here to put any biases or judgment on any of it. Um, we're just here to look at it because it exists, right? Which is a pretty important thing to do, I think. And and that
0: lens, I think, is also really important. So you guys take it away. Let's start in your logical. Uh, your logical place here? Yeah,
2: sure. Like Kylie mentioned, we really like to approach this topic from a values-neutral perspective. Me personally approaches kind of this content or these conversations from a sex-positive perspective, but we know that that's not going to be the same for everyone, and people do have a lot of feelings attached to porn, and some people have some trauma attached to it, or so, we don't want to come in here telling anybody what to believe. And that means we're also not going to come in here and tell you that the way that we talk to children about porn um, is just by telling them not to watch it. Because we know from so many research studies around um, sex education that abstinence only education doesn't work if we tell kids do not watch porn. Um, The first thing that they're going to do is going to go out and see what that is because it's going to make them curious. So that's not the perspective we're approaching this from. So we just want people to be aware of that early in case there was any misconceptions that we want to help you all facilitate conversations with the youth in your life about porn and facilitate open and honest and respectful conversations with them where you build trust instead of just telling them not to do something because we know that that isn't going to work. Kids are curious and they have a lot of access to this content on the internet. Well, and part of it too, is being a kid. It's also part
0: of being a part of the world, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, you know, sex, sexuality is everywhere. You know, crossing the line from an advertisement we see in a magazine to porn is a pretty thin line. Yeah, that's very true. And so kids can stumble into things and just, you know, not even realize they're stumbling into something that their parents might not approve of, depending on where they are in their life and their education. And so, yeah, I think it's a, a, it's such a smart thing. We We need to figure out how to talk about this and how to do this best so that kids grow up into our culture Uh, In in my, in my opinion, I think we've done a lot of disservice to humans um, by not being able to communicate and people still can't communicate, right? It's, I mean, we're, we have a lot of good examples, but it's hard. And if we can help early and normalize some of these things and educate, it makes the conversations, it makes their partnerships down the road. I mean, we're, what the work that you're doing is not just about the kid in the next few years. It's also about their growing up, how they, how they communicate with their partners and how they come in into their own sexuality and experience
1: that exactly and if we're not having those conversations with kids like we teach them how to keep their body safe in other ways and we teach them how to do independent skills on their own like cooking meals like it's it's the similar idea of we can't just act like they're not going to become an adult and then at 18 just leave them off on their own and so by hopefully having more open conversations about how to have like healthy relationships and perspectives around pornography um it's it's setting them up to just to have that much better of a healthy relationship
2: in the future absolutely So uh, this is some content that we present at um, regional and state conferences. Uh, And one thing that we like to do, you know, when we're in a room full of participants, which is different than our interaction today, there's just the three of us. um, But we ask all of our participants, what did sex education look like for you in school? Or what kind of education did you get about pornography? And though we don't have a room of 200 here to talk about it, I think it would still be interesting for us to share our perspectives as well. Yeah, Yes. Um, I think of sex education, I had it just one year in seventh grade, you could opt out and there was very much like lessons geared towards the boys and lessons geared towards the girls. It was very heteronormative. Um, I don't remember any kind of education about um, queer relationships or queer sex. Um, And I, the first I learned about porn, I was just by myself, I stumbled across it on the internet, uh, and it was, you know, very, very curious, very interesting, also kind of, like, nervous and afraid. I didn't really know what I was coming across, um, so it was something I just had to learn about on my own from a pretty young age.
1: For me, I like to tell this story when we present because um, I was in a, like, small school. I mean, we're both from pretty small towns, but my, I graduated, like, with 100 people, and um, we did have like a health class that you got the worksheet of the anatomical parts and label the private parts. Um, and that was about it. However, I was actually in a group um, for troubled youth, <laughs> in quotes. Um, it was just a group of Girls who either had some problems with like, my, my parent was an addict at that time. So things like that, or if they were kids that had more behaviors, I guess is the way I'll put it. So we were in a group that met every week. And so actually, we had someone come and talk to our group about sex education. And she actually came and did like a condom demonstration, talked to us about contraceptives and STIs and STDs. But I only got that conversation in a group with like maybe five or six other girls. And that didn't happen to the rest of the school. And I always just thought, I thought it was super cool at the time, actually, like we would go around bragging to people that we got to talk to the sex lady. But as I grew up, and I mean, actually, in this, like when we started working on this together, I was like, oh, that was something, a bias that they were totally putting on. Well, we're going to get these these group of girls, this education, but nobody else needs it. And I always um, thought that was interesting. Aside from that, I don't know, no one had ever had any conversations with me about pornography at all. I think I was talking to a I was talking to a guy on the internet who told me about porn. And now that I think about it, that's really problematic. And that's why it's important to have these conversations so that kids aren't learning from about porn from some guy
2: they meet on the
1: internet. <laughs> oh, no. Woo-hoo, that's the way to learn
2: about porn from the guy on the internet. Yeah. It wow. It is memories of me, too, also as a teen in just chat rooms on the internet. Yes. And yes, yeah, the things you, the other people post or hear from them, that's, yeah. I, I learned a lot from those rooms that probably not great education.
0: No, well it's certainly it's certainly an interesting type of education, right? Well, and I, you know, I'm older than you guys and when I remember, I don't remember what our first year of talking about sex was, but boy do I remember how stressful that was for me because we got a little note that we took it home and our parents had to um Assign it. We could, they could opt out. I was so afraid my parents were going to opt out. Oh my God. I mean, I grew up in a house where it was very close. You got in trouble for insinuating sexuality in my house. And I do remember that we, I think we actually had a group. I, I remember very distinctly that there was a group of mixed. So we were, the boys and girls were together. And I remember my, their sixth grade teacher, and I don't think he was my teacher at the time, but sixth grade teacher, Mr. Berry, the dude, <laughs> One of the the male teachers came in and basically said, do you have any questions like about the male anatomy? And I remember, I remember a couple of the pet questions that people asked and I thought they were so brave to ask, but I, I, it was a scary thing for me because I was so afraid my parents were going to opt out. And it was just, I was also a kid that was bullied. So I'm like, this, this could not go well. And it went okay, but it, uh, it was very biological, right? The few questions that my sixth grade teacher, the sixth grade teacher answered were probably the most off the biology and a little more human. Um, And I thought they were really brave to have him come in. I thought he was brave to come in and be able to talk about it. So yeah, it it wasn't no good education. I knew that Playboy existed. I knew there were other magazines and um, I knew they were like in the store in, in wrapping. And I knew that my parents thought all of that was bad. Yeah, I don't know if we even mentioned even magazines and some of that stuff. I do remember in third grade, <laughs> third grade, one of the kids brought in the the 45 of Centerfold. I don't know if you guys know that song, but the Jay Giles band, it's all about his love for a Centerfold. Yeah. That stopped dead. The teacher started playing it and was like, do you know what this song is about? So that actually probably was my first real introduction to to porn magazines.
2: Amazing. <laughs> that's a really actually great segue, unless there's something else we had to say about education.
1: I was just gonna share the example from our presentation <gasps> yes, in Minneapolis. I was thinking about that. Um, we presented this in Minneapolis, so we asked like a room of 200, 250 folks um what sex education looked like. And this woman stood up and she said that their sex education was the teacher was at the front of the room um, with a paper, like a construction paper heart, and said, okay, um, I want all of the boys to come up and take a piece of the heart. However big, however small, just take a piece of the heart. And so they did. And then they said, this is what
2: happens when you have sex. the heart was to represent a woman or a girl yeah and the boys got it slowly take take pieces away
1: and it totally framed it into this shameful like you are going to devalue yourself by having sex sort of conversation so I just I just love that piece I'm gonna use that example probably for forever because that was just mind-blowing
2: yeah it's a good example of how I mean all three of us had very different experiences and stories about our own sex education. And this moment was wildly different. So um, we're going to loop back here in a little while to talk more about kind of what the state of sex education looks like um, in the U S right now. But I just love to hear people's real life examples and their own experiences with um, sex education. Right. right. Oh, and they well, like, they're, you like, say, like
0: you say. they're so different. They vary so much and that doesn't help any of us, because then we all come together, you know, not that I want the same sex education for every single person, right? Like that doesn't really work either, but some broadness and consistency. So we do come together with some idea of
1: some uh, guidelines
0: would be cool. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Instead of just don't do it. It's bad. Don't look. That doesn't work. We know that doesn't work. There are a lot of, uh, most of the people that I know who grew up with abstinent only sex education, and they made choices that they probably wouldn't have made had they had more education. It was the well, i don't know what I'm doing," and then all of a sudden you know they get their part they, they their their partner
2: and them get pregnant very, very early because they just didn't know how to not get pregnant right yeah, i mean that happens yeah, absolutely and I loved your example of Judy too, about you know you had known about Playboy and magazines, uh, and that's a good segue kind of into. Where I typically go next when I talk about this content is how children come across or access pornography and um, that looked different for you when you were young, Judy, and it looked different for me when I was young, when Kylie was young, and then now kids and youth today. Um, because the way we can consume or access pornography is just like very rapidly evolving. Mm-hmm. You know, kids today are are raised on technology on the internet. Uh, I know many kids. uh, My niece is seven. My nephew's five. Both of them can navigate an iPad better than I can. I barely have, I have like two games on my phone and they're like in a folder, but my niece had my phone one time and was able to find the games and just like know how to play them, right? So kids in technology, it's wildly different than when I was a kid. I I did get a desktop computer in my bedroom when I was like 13, uh, right? So it looks pretty different, but um, some statistics that come from the condition of education study in 2019 showed um, a comparison from the year 2010 to the year 2017. Um, And this was comparing children um, who used internet in the home from ages three to 18. So a lot of the numbers were the same. We saw kids 15 to 18, almost 80% of them were able to access internet in their home both from 2010 into 2017, so that wasn't um, too much of a change. About 80% of those kids are accessing Internet. What was startling was in the study showed 3- and 4-year-olds in 2010, about 19% of them could access Internet in their home. And then by 2017, almost 50% of 3- and 4-year-olds were able to access Internet in their home. So I just like this comparison to show that Internet access is so wide. All kids or most kids have some form of access to Internet. Um, And then the way they access that too, This same study, again, compared 2010 to 2017. Um, And in 2010, about 10% of kids ages 3 to 18 had a mobile um, internet plan or a data plan on a cell phone, so about 10%. Um, And then seven years later in 2017, 92% of kids um, had access to a data plan through a mobile phone. Um, So again, it's really just outlining how accessible the internet is to children these days right um and then from there i want to talk about porn accessibility as well it's hard to gather statistics on how many kids are accessing porn because most porn websites you have to check the little box that says you're 18 or older right so we don't have true statistics on the age of kids that are accessing these kinds of things but um porn does put together a wonderful insights page um Pornhub.com slash insights, I recommend it to anybody, you're not going to see pornographic images on that slash insights page. Uh, But a lot of really informative infographics. So I also like to analyze those. And again, um, I don't know the number of what kids at what ages are accessing Pornhub. But what I do know is Pornhub is a free website. It's highly accessible if you just type porn into Google. That's what's probably going to come up first. And um, you don't have to type that you're 18. You don't have to put in any kind of credit card information. It's just everything is there and available to you.
1: And actually, I think we've heard, too, like, you don't even have to type it. Like, a kid can hit the microphone button and say a word, and mm-hmm. it'll search for you. So even if they don't know how to spell something but have heard the word before, mm-hmm. they can still utilize the same devices to search things.
0: You well. Know- and I think of I think of how how much how easy it is to get to porn by accident, like I was at a meeting, a big meeting, and they were trying to use here's how you could use Google, and they typed in something toys, and it was like the first thing I was like, "Okay, wrong choice, you know <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: I have a very funny example too, so Um, at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, this toilet paper shortage. I'd been wanting a bidet for a long time. So I'm like, this is the time. So we bought a bidet. The um, company is called Tushy Bidet. Um, You listen to a lot of other podcasts. They're very um, often advertised on there. But so we bought a Tushy Bidet. Um, And then we were at Menards trying to find like the right hookup piece to hook the bidet up to our toilet. And I knew that the specifics of this, uh, piece of hardware was on the tushy website so in menards i typed in tushy.com uh, that's not the url for tushy bidets if anyone's wondering <laughs> yeah, it was very much a porn website um, so it's hello tushy.com if anyone's wondering this is not an advertisement but um tushy, tushy.com is not correct so yes i'm standing in the middle of menards like with the sales rep trying to be like this is the piece we need and i'm pulling up like a porn website on my phone. <laughs> um, I
1: remember now that I was in Girl Scouts and my mom was our Girl Scout leader and we had everyone over um, to do our very like we wanted to start a Pinewood Derby and we were all around my family's desktop and my mom typed in Pinewood Derby and we found porn that way and she was like oh my gosh please don't tell your parents like I'll talk to them I'll explain what just happened um but I think yeah I was probably in probably fifth grade at that time and yeah typing in Pinewood Derby
2: yeah (laughs) with my mom with my mom oh my gosh right yes so um these things are very accessible uh And I love the infographics that Pornhub puts out because it really puts into perspective like how accessible this content is. Um, Something I thought was interesting was in the year 2018, they analyzed all of the traffic to Pornhub and over 71% of the traffic to Pornhub was via a cell phone. And so over 80% combined either a cell phone or a tablet, which a lot of kids have access to. They also put together an infographic on all of the traffic that came to Pornhub via a video game system which I don't play a lot of video games so I didn't even realize you could access like porn websites from a console mm-hmm. but um over 54% of people that accessed Pornhub through a video game console used a PS4 and 33% used an Xbox and then it seems like they were also able to use a Nintendo 3DS, a Nintendo Wii U, and a ps I, I don't know what that is. <laughs> like I said, I don't know video game consoles? but that breaks it down to a lot of kids. If they don't even have a cell phone, they may have access to a video game console that can access the internet. Um, so again, th- these aren't statistics on how many kids are accessing Pornhub, but we can make some inferences knowing that kids have cell phones and kids have video game systems that they're able to access this content. Right. Also in 2019, some of the statistics that Pornhub put out was it just in the year 2019, 42 there was 42 billion visits to the website. So again, it's a highly, highly accessible website. There was 39 billion searches performed on the website, 115 million visits per day, and 6.83 million videos uploaded in the year. Say that so, number again? Yes, uh, 6.83 million videos uploaded. Okay. Yeah, so it's uh, quite accessible. Um yeah, I would urge everyone to check out those insights pages. You can get a lot of cool stats from there. But it just helps us put into perspective how accessible this content is on the internet if kids are seeking it out. But then I loved our examples, too, that even if kids aren't seeking it out, they could come across it because it's its just very prevalent in our society today.
0: Right. And I think about that particular situation, and I think about parents or, you know, somebody coming across the, the kid's history or the history on the computer, and the response that might come from that even when it might be an accident and I mean my gosh it's like it yeah it's not that hard you hit something and they they hit something and it might have a really intriguing title that they're in their mind it's totally something different and, oh my gosh and then boom 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 all you got these pop-out windows right and
2: <laughs> yeah. we one of uh, our former coworkers. um when her son, I believe he was eight, he was, like, they were at a family function, and he was off with some cousins, and they were on the iPad, and it had, like, frozen on their search screen, so then they, like, had to bring it to my coworker because they're, like, it's frozen, we don't know what to do, but it was frozen on, like, a Google image search for, like, women's boobs, I think, was, like, the search term, but then they're, like, they were trying to tell, um, my former coworker, the mom that like, we were looking for women's boots. We wanted to look at pictures of boots <laughs> and like, it was an accident, but just a very fun, like innocent, um, like excuse for how they had come across it. But yeah, mm-hmm. again, it's very easy. And then, yeah, how do we, when you're confronted with that, you're probably not typically ever ready in the moment to have those conversations, but we really aim to help parents, you know, at least have a little bit of sense of direction of where to go if that may come up.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. So go into that a little bit, because I think that is, like you say, it it comes up and then as a, as a parent or a person, I mean, it could be your, you know, niece, nephew, whatever, hanging out at your house, right. Just doing their thing. And also, oh, how do I deal with this? And and that can be a very defining moment for a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, you know, pre thinking about it, I think is a really valuable thing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we really aim to do with this presentation. Um, So we do have a ton of tips on how to talk to kids, but we want to talk a little bit about sex education before we get there. That's perfect. Rock on.
1: And the reason why we
2: feel like talking about
1: sex education on this topic is important is just because, like we said, sex education is looking so different for every kid. And if we don't give them that education and parents don't have those conversations or caregivers don't have those conversations, they're left to fill in the gaps using pornography, which we can talk a little bit more about too. Like it, porno, It's not real sex. That's not real relationships that kids are watching on pornography. And so then what expectations do they create for their own relationships when viewing that? And so in the United States, there are no federal regulations for a child sex education. And so it's really up to states and local lawmakers, Um, but even then some states will like leave it up to the school district or the school district will leave it up to the principal or the principal will leave it up to the teacher to decide what they want to cover. And so it can be really objective depending on who's teaching it, where the kid lives, things like that. So just a couple of like stats to kind of get an idea of sex education in the United States. So there's 20 states and Washington, D.C. that require that they teach kids about contraception. So things like condoms, birth control, things like that. 39 states and then D.C. require, so double the amount of states require talking about abstinence. Um, With 30 of those states saying abstinence needs to be like the answer, basically. Mm -hmm. Like it needs to be stressed. 20 states um, include having conversations about engaging in sexual activity only within marriage. So there's still states that are having that value. I mean, that's a, that's a value that people can decide for themselves, but some states are putting that onto the kids. And then 35 states and D.C. require that they do talk to kids about healthy romantic um, and sexual relationships. Really? Which was, yeah, I, I ta- I'll I take take it. Right. That's impressive. <laughs> right. Um, it's not far enough, but it's impressive. Right. For sure. Minnesota specifically, what our sex ed requirements are is we do require talking to kids about STDs and STIs and HIV and AIDS. Um, and then they also do require in Minnesota that they teach kids that abstinence is the only 100% effective preventative to STDs, STIs, and pregnancy. And then they leave it up to school districts to decide in Minnesota if they want to talk to kids about contraceptives, if they want to talk to kids about medically correct information, Um, And if they want to have like a trained educator, so not, so that's saying basically that the person who's teaching kids sex ed might not be trained to teach it or um, is just kind of like, hey, this is part of your curriculum, do the lesson. So can you unpack, you said they have
0: an option, sorry, I just have a hard time with that. They have an option to teach medically
1: correct information. What does that mean? So like teaching kids about their body parts and how it works and um I think of like I, I I did get the medically correct information. I got um sent home worksheets with the female reproductive system and the male reproductive system and I learned um the different functions of how everything worked and what they were called. Um but that's apparently something that is up to school districts to decide if they want to teach that to children.
2: Yeah. Do you remember earlier this year, Kylie, one of our other coworkers had taken this like BuzzFeed quiz? And the quiz was all about like label the parts of the female reproductive system. And so we all took it and we all did pretty bad. I don't think you did too bad, Kylie. I didn't get a 100%. I think I got like 40%. So wow. I want to go find that. uh, Yeah. So there's a BuzzFeed quiz out there. We're all like, we know this. We know this. Yeah. So um, a lot of kids are missing that kind of education.
0: Well, and how... How sad is that? I mean, it's a part of the, the 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 concern that I always have with this is how many people I have had conversations with who they're, it makes them scared to go to their doctor because they're so afraid to say the words. They are so afraid to, because everybody is so uncomfortable that you're trying to figure out if you can talk of to your doctor, and then if you do open up and the doctor shuts you down, you have no more resources because then it just makes it even harder for you to communicate. And to know your own body, to know when something is maybe needs some needs some help or attention or something isn't right. I mean, just the sadness I have over this is just crazy.
2: Yeah. And it really does impact the work I do too. Um, as a forensic interviewer, like I said, I interview children who have alleged abuse as a part of the criminal investigation. So with law enforcement and social services, I, I conduct an interview one on one with a kid, and it can be very hard for them to talk about what happened to their body if they don't even know really what's kind of going on with their body, right? Or or know about the anatomy that was involved in the abuse. It can be very hard for them to talk about it, and then that could have you know ramifications for their investigation. It's problematic.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think of how I grew up. So, you know, I grew up knowing that, like, say, naked people—it was the wrong thing right? There wasn't even always necessarily connected. That There was a lot of confusion in my head about naked people and sexuality. And those kind of blended together mm-hmm. so that nakedness was wrong. And then I knew I didn't look like these people that were, you know, in magazines or whatever. So I felt wrong. And I think mm-hmm. when I did have things happen to me, I didn't talk about them. Because... I didn't even want to. I, I felt like expressing, and this kind of was sort of true in my house. There was so much uncomfort about saying the words, and I and I know this was true for other people around me as well. But saying the body part words just made my parents so freaked out, and other people so freaked out that when I kind of needed to talk to somebody, I was scared too. And, it, and and so I think of kids and I know that things have changed, but I also know they haven't changed enough. So if you're a kid that's afraid to say that somebody did something to you because you perceive that body part as bad or wrong, to tell you, a forensic interviewer, that's scary. So, and you're, no offense, like you're not a scary person. But from a kid's perspective, you're kind of a scary person, right? You're this unknown entity. And I can imagine some kids might have an easier time talking to you. And some kids, is, it's going to shut them down. And then that doesn't allow you to do your work.
2: Yeah, I'm a stranger to these kids, right? That My, my purpose as a forensic interviewer is I'm a, a neutral person, right? So I, I don't know these children. They're they're strangers to me. And I'm I'm an adult stranger to them that's now asking them some pretty invasive questions.
1: And I think too of like how, if we don't give them the language, how do they talk about it? How do they know what to say? We don't give them the language. Kids Mm -hmm. don't, this isn't an inherent thing. Like this is something that we're taught. Um, and that's something that I really talk to a lot of people about when I do prevention education. Um, so our prevention program, we do like we call it a three prong approach. So I go talk to kids in the classroom and teach them about safe and unsafe touches on their private parts. But then I also talk to the teachers at the schools about what I'm teaching the kids so that the teachers have that language. But then I also talk to caregivers and parents and hold meetings there to say, Hey, this is what I'm coming in to teach your kid. And really, honestly, it's, I love doing those because um, it's just so interesting to see, what conversations happen when you provide the safe space. Like I, most of my parent sessions are parents saying like, well, hypothetically, and then they will ask me a very specific question about like their four-year-old masturbating or things like that. Um, and just because we don't have the space until someone creates it because society has made it so taboo. And so one thing I do go and talk to um, parents about is, even if you're, if you can't get the kids, if you yourself can't say penis or vagina, like at least teaching private parts. Um, we we really like the anatomically correct words, but even just teaching private parts, because otherwise we'll have kids that um, if you call it, we had an example of a kid who called it her cookie, um, and so someone was touching her cookie, and she tried to tell the teacher that someone is touching her cookie, and the teacher's like, we'll tell them to stop, like. What do you mean? Um, and so when we don't give them the language, they can't communicate to us.
0: Yeah, I've, I heard a story similar to that, which turned out in in, in the adults giving the kid a hard time for not sharing
1: mm-hmm.
0: and being selfish because they didn't want this person to touch or whatever they use cookie cupcake. I don't remember what the term was. So here, how confusing would that be? And then you've got a kid who is like, okay, I'll share. Cause that's what I'm told to do. That could go bad real quick.
1: But are they gonna, what does that do for them to get help any other time if they get shut down? This yes. that teaches them that that's something that we don't talk about. Um, and we don't bring it up and honest. And most of the times too, when kids are being abused, a lot of stuff that the dynamics of abuse is secrecy and isolation and telling kids do not talk about this or else, or do not talk about this, or you'll get in trouble. Mm-hmm. And so when kids finally do find the courage to say something and they get shut down, what does that do for them? Like right. how, what does that, how does that affect their relationship with adults and really feeling like they can say something?
0: Yeah. Yeah. One story that I think is really interesting and speaks to how invasive the challenges are of this in our culture is Dan Savage. (laughs) Dan Savage, who has been a, you know, uh, for anybody who doesn't know who he is, he is a... 50, I don't remember how old he is, he's like 53, something like that, a gay man who has been a uh, sex and relationship columnist for the last 20 plus years, and his husband and him have a son who as I believe now, like 20, and he was he's talked about how when he went to talk to his kid about sex, he totally, he said he, he had a hard time with it, and he said he totally forgot to talk about pleasure. He, told, you know, and I think if he can mess that up, it does give a lot more people the understanding of we're we're probably not going to do this great, but let's try. Let's see how we can do this better. Because if if we keep trying, eventually things will
2: shift. Yeah, I think most sex education and most sex talks from parents to kids are are devoid of pleasure and intimacy. Um, and really just focused on the act of sex itself right. um, and maybe talking about trust with a the partner there. But even then, we're not having that conversation at all. We're not talking about how to build trust or, you know, that pleasure is supposed to be a part of this experience as well. Um, so I love that example, especially from, yeah, somebody who publicly has talked about sex for a very long time. Right. And this is his daily job for crying out <laughs> loud. <laughs>
1: Just to wrap up um, the sex education piece of this, really there's two main kind of ideologies around sex education. So there's that, what used to be called abstinence only. Um, They've since rebranded themselves um, to be sexual risk avoidance education because abstinence only kind of started to get a bad rap. Um, So that is where they teach kids what's called success sequencing, And so what they teach um, kids is that to be successful, you have to graduate high school and then find a full-time job and then get married. And then you can have sex and have kids. Um, And and it says um, you have to wait until you're at least 21 to get married and have sex and have kids. But then if you, if you do these things, if you follow this order, Um, you will be far less likely to end up living in poverty as if those are connected. Wow. And then they also teach that the only way to avoid, the only way is to be abstinent, to avoid pregnancy, STIs, STDs. They do have the values of um, like a faithful monogamous relationship, like sex is between two people and two people only, and it's someone that you commit to for a long time. So then the other end of the spectrum is the sexual risk reduction education. And so that framework is much more of talking about reproductive functioning is not the same as your sexual functioning. Because I have certain reproductive parts in my body, but my body is more than that, and I also have the sexual side of me too. They are not one and the same. Sexual functioning is just as natural and part of the human as the reproductive organs and the reproductive system Um, sexual risk reduction also talks about variations of between genders and sexual identities which is really important for especially like katie said queer kids like not seeing that representation or having come if we only have conversations about um, heteronormative relationships or heteronormative sex um, we're missing a population of our kids that aren't getting that education of what their healthy relationships should look like.
2: Right.
1: Um, they also talk about dating being a way to learn about you and yourself, how you are romantically and about self-expression and intimacy, just saying that it should be up to the person to decide like what their values are, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, like cultural and religious teachings might, tell us one thing or another but at the end of the day in the sexual risk reduction perspective it's up to the individual and what risks you want to take for yourself
2: yeah so again two kind of framework approaches but when we boil it down to who who that sex education's up to it can really look a lot
1: right yes we have a little bit, too, just because of we talk about how queer kids are missing from the sex education narrative. So we do have some stats about that, too. Um, so 12 states in the United States require talking about different sexual orientations. So straight, gay, bisexual. Nine of those states require inclusive discussion of it. And three of those states require only negative information about different sexual orientations.
0: Okay. Which, wow.
1: if, if you're an LGBT kid in um, a classroom that's only teaching negative, negative perspectives on different sexual orientations besides straight. What does that do for your self-esteem, your self-expression, which we already know in queer kids is going to be lower because they're not represented in mainstream media. So basically what we're saying is LGBTQ students aren't being provided the health information that's accurate for their bodies and their identities. And so what do they do? Turn to the internet to find porn Of queer relationships that are made by straight filmmakers for straight viewers. Like the videos of lesbian porn, are those really accurate to what actual lesbian relationships look
2: like? Right. Probably
0: not. Probably not.
2: we have a map here again from the Pornhub Insights page from their 2019 year in review it's a map of the world um, and then each country is labeled by their most viewed categories and I'm looking at it right now and I see and just like a quick scan I see at least 12 countries where lesbian is the most viewed category so again we know that that's not just being viewed by that audience it's like Kylie said mostly made by straight people for straight people and then that's not representing what what those relationships might actually look like. Some of it might, some of it might not. But when we think about the kind of porn kids are accessing, it's the free stuff on Pornhub and it's not, you know, a website that's curated for queer viewers, right, that you might have to pay for. Right, exactly. So, right, there's, yeah, That that's the other thing too, is, is there is
0: porn that is, you've got cameras involved, you've got a lot of other things. So there's, you know, and it's designed for a camera. It's probably not going to look, quite, you know, like everybody's, you know, evening romp in the hay, Um, but it, it, but at least it, it, they're trying to make it look a little more real, be a little more realistic and appeal to different populations. And that's, yeah, like you said, that's not what, that's what what people have access to. People have to pay for, Mm -hmm. people have to pay for that stuff. And that's obviously not
2: happening with your, you know, 10 year old. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Especially kids. They're not paying for
2: it. Yeah, they don't have a credit card. And uh, we, we talked at the beginning that we're coming from a values neutral perspective. And I mentioned that, you know, personally, I'm a sex positive person. So I'm definitely not here to say that porn is inherently a bad thing or that it's harmful because there's a lot of, you know, like great content out there. Um, but typically, when the content is good, it's because the actors are paid well, the actors are respected, their boundaries are respected, their you know, pleasure is centered as a part of the storyline. And, you know, that stuff costs money, turns out. Um, so, um, yeah, that's not the stuff that kids are having access to. Right. So talking about what is accessible to kids, yeah, the free stuff, the porn that they are seeing. So a lot of the themes that, you know, if you scroll through Pornhub or other free tube sites, it's, you get a lot of violent, misogynistic and degrading themes. Um, there's uh, this quote I pulled from a study that men are portrayed as dominant, irresponsible, rude, forever willing and have an uncontrollable desire and I don't think that's fair to men either like the men in my life I know you know aren't constantly just like sex 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 control control which is like that's how they're portrayed in a lot of this porn so that can cause some confusion to kids on like what a role of a man in sex is um there's not emotions or female pleasure like ever centered in this free porn content right it's all about like the man finishing and there's not a ton of like So there's just no focus on female pleasure. Also, it doesn't convey a culture of consent. So there was a study done in the UK with girls aged 11 to 21, and 71% of them said that porn gives confusing messages about consent, and it makes sexually violent behavior seem normalized. So again, we when this is what kids are watching um, when they're trying to learn about what sex is because their sex education didn't give them a ton of information. It just told them not to have sex. So they're on the internet. Like what does it look like or what does it mean to have sex? And if they're getting this messaging, that's very violent or controlling or misogynistic, they, you know, that can be confusing to them. They may think like, Oh, this is what sex is mm-hmm. right. Cause who's telling them that porn is not an educational tool. Porn is a performance it's made for entertainment, but Nobody's talking about porn and sex education and no one's telling kids that. So it can be problematic. Right. Yeah. Use that to fill in the gaps and try
1: to educate themselves. Um, (laughs) We have a slide pulled up. This is so when we show um, our presentation, we actually just have a slide of uh, Katie took one for the team and went on to Pornhub and just screenshot like some of the titles of the videos Um, and there's just so much centered around like violence, like someone getting destroyed
2: or pounded or a lot of, um, you can read some of those if you want to. I was like, am I allowed to say this? Oh God, Um, yeah. Yeah, no, you're fine.
1: Okay. So some of them (laughs) are like chubby, pregnant, Kate, bareback, interracial cream pie. Like that's the one title or, um... Petite Latina whore (laughs) pussy pounded hard. Pounded hard at Latina throat. So again, like
2: he the male figure is doing something to the female actress. And Latina is mentioned twice in one title again. So there's like a fetishization of different like ethnicities and cultures here as well.
1: Or yeah, and then there's stuff like a lot about like teens getting destroyed and the picture is actually super gross. It's like a big man standing behind a girl and like looking down at her who I'm I'm hoping is an adult but like it's definitely meant to portray be portrayed as like this is a young girl and an older adult man she's wearing bunny ears and has
2: like a little basket of eggs so she's very much made to look young very little right yeah just I'll stop saying well but you're but you're right so if you
0: if you hop on that and maybe it's some of your first you know, experience with it as a female that can really turn you off, right? Not only to porn, um, and if you think this is what you're, you know, I think again, communication and relationships about porn I think is can be so important because I, I think that's those titles and and just kind of what you see as kind of the first thing. It it's kind of can make you feel a little uncomfortable as a female if you think that is what your partner is into and that's what they really want. Mm-hmm. And if that's what they're being in a sense trained to want, I mean, we've, you know, there are certainly, I've had conversations with guys where that's kind of what they expect. And when sex doesn't turn out that way, then they are focused on their finish, right? Mm-hmm. They're focused on finishing because, well, it's what we're here for, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. So I, it's a, it's a really complicated thing we have, uh, we have going for us to try to work through.
2: Yeah. And, uh, to that point too, I just want to add all of these screenshots I took of these titles, uh, were just from, the I didn't search anything. I just went to pornhub.com and they were on that first, first page. page. Right. Yeah, so and that's really what you're faced with on this website. Right. When queer identities are portrayed
1: in pornography, especially on these, like, free tube sites, they are usually really fetishized or ridiculed. And so, and especially if you were a queer kid, pulling that up and seeing all straight relationships. And like we said earlier, too, like, these are predominantly straight filmmakers making porn for the pleasure of predominantly straight viewers. So how does that actually teach them about who they or what their relationships would look like or what sex would look like? And that's gotta be scary. Right. And that
2: their sexuality is something to be you fetishized. Used. Thank you
1: for yeah. finishing my point.
2: Yeah. That's where I wanted to get. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So we've talked a ton about sex education and then like why kids are turning to porn and then why, it's important to have conversations with them about porn because we don't want them to just be on their own, to develop these really harmful ideas or this confusion around relationships or intimacy or sex. Um, And there's a really awesome example um, that I first heard on the podcast, the butterfly effect um, by John Ronson. If you were to look it up now, I think it would be under the last days of August because that's what the second season is called. But the first season is called the butterfly effect Each episode is really about kind of different things that have happened in the world because of this really free access to porn online. And one of the episodes, he talks with a young man. Um, He's 22 at the time of the podcast, but when he was, I believe, 18. So this is a kid that has many, many diagnoses. He has ADHD and ADD combined type, Asperger's uh, and bipolar with psychotic features, bipolar one with psychotic features. Um, So a lot of diagnoses here. He doesn't have a ton of excellent social skills. He doesn't have, you know, a ton of friends, but he meets this girl that he really connects with and he likes her a lot. And they, I think they go on some dates, but then his family moves away from the area. So this is kind of devastating to him because he's finally made this connection with somebody. And one of the things they bonded over was Japanese anime. They loved these anime drawings and shows, um And this art. So he came across hentai porn, which is essentially like anime porn. It's like Japanese animated porn. And this is something that he came across. And nobody had had conversations with him about porn or what it was or, you know, its intention. And he was like, oh, this girl that I liked, her and I bonded over this kind of art. I'm going to send her these images because, you know, they're doing, they're making me feel a certain kind of way. And may, maybe she will too. Um, and he sent her, I think, 60 images, 50 to 60 images. And um, to her, that was very, very alarming, and she reported it, um, because it's, you know, in a typical situation, this is like sexual harassment, sending somebody a ton of pornographic images. But nobody had ever talked to this kid before about porn or its implications or, you know, how we are supposed to interact with it. Um, so he was reported and he ended up being charged and is now on the sex offender registry for 25 years. So he's really limited in what the places where he can live or where he can have a job, which were already kind of limited to him due to his diagnoses. And now it's just compounding on top in like a really tragic event, you know. I don't want to say it could have been solved or how things would have been if they were different, but if somebody had had conversations with this boy when he was younger about, you know, these things he might see on the internet and and how you're supposed to interact with them, like maybe some of these consequences could have been avoided. Right. I
0: finally listened to that, by the way. And yeah, like he had said, if, if anybody would have told him to stop, he would have stopped. Mm-hmm. He wasn't doing it out of malice. He wasn't doing it out of anything else. And yeah, and now, like you say, he literally because of how close she can live to a park and how he can not be in spaces with kids and all of that stuff. His entire life has changed. And this, and, and some people might look at that and say, well, it's a kid with a disability. This is also happening to kids because they just don't know, right? They send a picture of themselves that somebody has asked for and they are now all of a sudden, you know, 14, 15 years old, 18 years old. They're in trouble for child, for child porn. Mm -hmm. And it's it affects the rest of their life. I mean, this doesn't just people don't go, Oh, well, that's logical. You know, and I know in the in the podcast about the butterfly effect, you know, they were talking about that. Judicially, people don't quite know what to do with this. And they think that the best thing to do is give people the harshest Mm -hmm. sentence. And I I was at a presentation at a conference I was at in a, a town in Minnesota, where the cops are actually working with people who have disabilities. To make sure that it's a case of, you know, with somebody with, like, say, the, the point they used or the example they used was autism, that these kids don't know, parents are uncomfortable talking about their kid about sex, the culture is uncomfortable because they don't want them, you know, there's concern about them becoming a sexual being, right? So that topic gets avoided. So the cops are actually trying to assess before something happens is this somebody who just doesn't know better? Mm-hmm. which i think is fantastic mm-hmm. because we need we need that now so much mm-hmm.
2: yeah i definitely have a lot of feelings about statutes regarding um sexting because i think they're very similar to a, a lot of more egregious sex crimes when oftentimes we see when teens are engaging in sexting it's typically consensual you know and then maybe if it's shared outside of consent we can run into problems but it's like it's not enough to have an umbrella term that like Sexing is distribution of child porn and I know like that's the way it looks right now my opinion is that
0: uh, no I I I totally agree when I hear about you know sex offenders it's kind of like okay I need to know what they did Mm -hmm. you know yeah
1: there are yeah the the sex offender registry can be um problematic like I can't think of the title off of my head but I read um an article about like yeah kids who just did the wrong thing because they hadn't had any conversations around it. And now they're on the sex offender registry and that affects where they can live, where they can work, who they are as a person. Um, and that follows them to wherever. And right. so it can be really detrimental. And we make judgments
0: about that and they don't get a chance to explain themselves.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. You know. And really what happened was we as adults failed them and then we punished them for not
2: knowing any better because we failed them. And pretty intensely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And when we think about sexting too, it's again, with the amount of access kids have to cell phones, it's, inactivity that they're engaged in and if they're seeing porn on their cell phones that's normalizing seeing sexual or naked content on your phone so that normalizes the sending and receiving of those images as well i think to other people so again i think that sexting needs to be a part of a conversation about porn as well Mm -hmm. um, because of the way that it is viewed by society or by um, law enforcement or by the state right but in general, sexting tends to be, you know, a pretty low risk activity. It's not something where you have to navigate like a physical consent, like it's not where you have to navigate STDs. Uh, you can't catch an STD over sexting. And if it's, if it's consensual and you've had open and honest conversations about it, like it shouldn't be criminalized. Right. Yeah, it's an interesting
0: thing when you think of abstinent only education because if a kid has abstinent only education and it's all about not getting pregnant and safety, and they draw the connection, going, well, then this should this this is kind of the loophole, right? Like, and then again, they sex somebody and it goes bad, um, and it's not in the it's not in the curriculum. They can logic it out and say, well, I, I, this was safe, like you said, this
2: is safe. This is safe sex. Mm-hmm. And I think too, it can create mistrust between adults and youth. If adults are just telling kids, "Don't you can't sex, you can't sex, it's a crime," all this stuff, but like kids can appreciate that nuance, and kids know when you're like, "Adults sexed," right? So if adults are allowed to, and then they're just telling kids not to, like, you know, where is the? There's not a lot of trust built there between kids and adults if they're being very contradictory in their behaviors and what they're telling kids to do. Right.
1: But I did read in an article that consensual sexting does not have any does not cause emotional distress in teenagers like we might perceive. Keyword is consensual. There.
2: Yeah. So then we need to talk about why we need to talk about it, right? Yes. So this is more of an overview of everything we've covered, but we need to have conversations with kids about porn because they are accessing porn and their intentionality varies. And we've talked about that too, whether they're looking it up because they're not receiving proper education and they're like, what does it look like to have sex? Or what does it mean to have sex in my body or my sexuality? So they're looking it up for education or they're curious. They hear their peers talking about porn and they're like, oh, I want to see what this is all about. Or they stumble across it or they... Go to the wrong website in the middle of Menards, right? Um, so Or they're trying
0: to do presidential research and they go to Whitehouse.com or whichever one it is. <laughs> it's like,
2: oh, okay. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So um, the intentionality of how kids are accessing porn varies, but again, it's it's very accessible and it's it's not enough to just not want our kids to watch porn. It's it's they've probably seen it and we need to have conversations with them about it so they're not scared to talk about it and are just trying to learn on their own because that can be harmful we know that parental controls can only restrict access so much we intentionally don't talk a lot about parental controls in this presentation because you can go look those kinds of things up on your own but also know that every single kid i know is much more technologically advanced than i am and they a lot of those things are very easy to get around so you can try to restrict it but again kids may still be able to access this.
0: Well, and um, it also gives that, again, like you said, when when you tell a kid don't do something, right? Yeah. Like I paid attention to adults as a kid, right? Like you're trying to figure out how to operate in the world. And if I heard something or when they spelled a word instead of said it, my curiosity, my ears perked up, you know? Yeah. And it wasn't, again, it wasn't about me being defiant. It was about me trying to understand I wanted to be part of the world, part of the conversation, right? Yeah. So- When you do that, it it certainly can backfire.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, I've looked into some kind of like firewalls and they're based on the Wi-Fi. So kids will just go on their data or the neighbor's Wi-Fi or their friend's house, right? So it's just, uh, it's not enough to just put controls on and think that that's solving the problem. Um, You need to create an environment that you can have conversations in. Yeah,
1: we have a video that we show and we present. Um, so I'll drop the website is called amaze.org, a m a z e.org, org. Um, and I tell all of my families that I work with about this website. They are videos that are made specifically for these tough conversations that we have with kids. So we, there's one that they have about porn and whether it's an accurate representation or if it's made up because it's entertainment And they have videos for kids ages. They have little kid videos like three to five year olds and then they've got preteen videos and they've got teenager videos from literally everything about puberty, healthy sexual relationships, healthy romantic relationships, sexual abuse prevention um, so we have a video that we would normally include there. So totally, if folks are interested to look into that, um, I definitely recommend that. And I really like it, too, because as a parent, you're able to go in and make a playlist. Um, so if there was specific videos that you wanted your child to view and have a conversation about, you could make that playlist for them um, to, if you're trying to yeah, a little moderate what they're viewing on there.
0: Well, and I, you know, I know I've heard some parents will set that type of thing up, have the information available and say to their kid, you know, here and and like hands off it and not hang out when they watch it, not go back to them and ask, so did you watch it? Do you have any questions? But basically leave it to... If you, if you have any questions, let me know, but be very light so they feel like they have that time to process and try to work some things out in their head without the pressure of somebody sort of, well, what did you think? Did you want, you know,
2: kind of thing. Yeah, I think it's a great approach to make them a playlist and say, these are things I think it's important to have a conversation about when you're ready. I think you should watch it. And then when you're ready, come to me with questions again, not creating pressure or any kind of shame around the content or the conversations. When we talk about starting the conversation with kids or talking to them about porn, um, a website that we've used a lot is called the Porn Conversation, um, and that is created by Erica Lust, who is a porn um, creator. She's a producer out of Spain, and she makes what she's coined ethical porn. So, what we were talking about earlier, where like pleasure is the focus for everyone in the video, and they're respected. And they're paid well. So that's the kind of stuff that costs money, right? That kids aren't exposed to. But she's also made this website called The Porn Conversation because she's um, recognized, you know, the important. She is a creator of porn and she has children. So she recognized the need of talking to her children about her job. And then she's like, oh, it's not only me. All parents need to have these conversations with kids because kids can access porn, whether you as a parent are creating it or not, or producing it. Um, so the porn conversation is a great resource. They have three PDFs you can download that are broken down by age groups, but we'll talk you through those age groups here now too. But those guides can be really helpful. So the first age group is nine to 11. So when we talk about starting the conversation, um, this is like the same for every age group, but you, you need to create a safe environment. Absence of judgment to start that conversation. So you need to let the kids know that it's a safe place for them to bring any questions or concerns they have to. you. Like we talked about earlier, as kids, we didn't know who we could go to with those questions. So we just tried to figure it out for ourselves. Um, so really laying the groundwork that it's a safe environment and, you know, you're not going to judge them for anything that they have seen or questions that they might have. Um, again, always allowing them to ask questions and always answer without connotations of blame or shame. So if the kid Um, talks about, well, the kid brings up maybe something they saw on the internet, not like, who showed you that? Where did you see it? You know, no shame or blame there. Let's just talk about it. Uh, This is one of my favorite tips. Don't set them down for a chat. Don't say we need to have a talk and sit at them across the table, eye to eye, you know, really intense um, eye contact. We don't want to create that space that doesn't feel like a very safe environment to have open and honest conversations. So my favorite tip is to start the conversation while you're doing something else with your child or the youth that you want to talk with. So maybe you're washing dishes together or you're driving in a car or you're planting in a garden, something that you're doing where you don't have to just have eye contact the whole time and it's really intense, but it's still a place where you can have a conversation. Oh my God, that is such important advice. (laughs) I think
1: the other thing is too, uh, is like to not say, okay, we're going to sit down and we're going to have this talk and that's it. Um, when I talk to caregivers about, um, sexual abuse prevention, um, they are like, well, how do I talk about it? And I say, well, you just, um, we can put it into like little learning moments when it comes up. Like we don't need to sit down and have a conversation. We can just have these discussions when things arise um, so if a kid were to show you something, just having a conversation then and then saying, you know, if you ever have any other questions or you want to talk more about it, um, just trying to not limit that conversation to that one sit down talk, if that makes sense.
0: Do you guys, one of the things that I'm, I, I'm thinking about is, you know, how much on just regular television, there is, it's not, not porn exactly, but but situations come up, especially when we talk about people's pleasure or consent or that kind of thing, that those could be really great opportunities to just start getting comfortable without being intense to a kid, but kind of just bringing up the conversations. I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to come up with a good example, but I know a while back I was watching something and, you know, the woman was being pushed and it kind of turned into an almost rape type situation. And I thought, if you have a kid sitting there that happens to be in the room, you know, could you bring it up in such a way of saying, you know, start talking about, wow, how that must make her feel, you know, I mean, being able to just bring into that conversation. So you're not having to talk about a specific instance, but you're talking about this character that you can kind of focus around that, right? I mean, I don't know. What do you guys think of that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Utilizing those teachable moments, like, and it, then you can have a quick conversation about it, like, while it's happening. And that doesn't mean that you need to commit to having this big conversation for, like, just, I, I think it really normalizes it.
0: Yeah. Well, it opens the door to the kid feeling like, oh, well, maybe I can talk to you about this, right? Like, I, I think of how scary parents can be for some kids to talk about sex right? Like that, that, you know, that's not always your go-to comfort zone, right? Like I was listening to a woman who she's like, oh my gosh, I, my niece, we, we have had some really intense conversations that were, you know, positive, intense and, and deep about this stuff because it just kind of came up and she ran with it. And you know, I know for me as a kid, my parents were not the place to have that conversation. But having another person who opened the door in a very gentle way or just let you know somehow, without it being a direct conversation, that it's safe or not freaking out and not saying, well, um, your, your parents, you should talk to your parents about that, you know, because that, again, because people are uncomfortable sometimes about overstepping the lines of somebody else's belief system or wanting them to, do you know what I mean? Kind of everybody has different ethical kind of standards. And and so you maybe don't want to overstep, but at the same time, having being, being the aunt or whatever in a situation is a huge gift for kids.
2: Yeah, I definitely like, I've always been close with my mom. Right. But there was like stuff that I didn't talk to my mom about. My mom, my sister is a few years older than me. And um, the very first time, you know, when I became sexually active as a teenager and my mom like, knew about it, but wouldn't talk to me about it. And she sent my, my sister took me to Planned Parenthood, right. To get birth control. It was like, take your sister. Um, Cause they just weren't conversations that we had in my family or my parents. That wasn't like the culture in my household. Right. Even though we were really close and talked about other stuff that wasn't, that just wasn't a topic we talked about. in my house. So definitely sometimes it's not always going to be a parent. That's going to have these conversations. It could be just another safe person to that kid.
1: Right. Yeah.
2: And also what you said to about, not just like, setting them down for a talk. It's like, this isn't just one conversation, you know, we're starting the conversation. So you don't want to just like, okay, we're going to sit down and we're going to have a talk and I'm going to tell you all this stuff. And then it's done. Cause then the kid may think like, well, if questions come up in the future, like that was the opportunity to talk about them. Right. So how do we keep that conversation open across time? Right. I think another important piece to tell when like
1: having those conversations is reassuring them that they won't get in trouble because it's so shameful and not discussed kids think it it's inherently bad and when things are inherently bad am I going to get in trouble with the adult um so that can be a way to break down barriers too is just saying you know if you ever do have questions about sex or something that you saw on the internet Um, you aren't going to get in any trouble with me for asking those questions. And I'd rather have you asking those questions than, you know, doing something that would maybe get you into trouble. So um, opening it up that way can be helpful too. Yeah. So we have a couple suggestions on if you are trying to start the conversation um, without maybe if you didn't have the opportunity to see something on TV and start it that way. So like Katie said, trying to have these conversations while you're doing something else, um, standing side by side even, like doing dishes or something, taking away that eye contact, taking away the confrontation of it all. Um, You can start it saying things like, hey, I was on the internet or I was online and I saw some videos and pictures that showed up and I think that you might have seen them too. When I'm buying something online, some advertisements are on there um, and they just pop up out of nowhere. Have you seen them before? Have you seen something similar to that? And then leaving it up to them. Maybe they haven't. You can either choose to have a conversation then or you can say, okay, well, if you ever do see that, you can come talk to me about it. Another suggestion is um, I know that when you get to a certain age, you might start to feel curious about Um, sex or porn and things on the internet. And I would like it if we could talk about that. Um, You can ask me any questions you might have. And if I don't have the answers, we'll find them out together. And that's something that I talk to um, caregivers about when I do sexual abuse prevention, is if a kid does ask you a question and it catches us off guard because we aren't prepared to have these conversations in our everyday life, that's totally okay to be caught off guard. Um, but then the appropriate response that I want caregivers to have is to say, you know, that's a good question. And I'm not sure what the answer is right now. So I'm going to go find out. Um, and then follow up with them is really important too. We don't want to just brush it off and be like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll answer that later and then not answer it because Mm -hmm. then do they want to come back to us again? But it's totally okay and valid to say, wow, yeah, I'm not sure. Let me
2: figure that out. And get back to you on that. I think that's not only appropriate and valid, but it's validating. It's it's you're learning together, right? You're having this learning moment together instead of one person is the holder of all the information. Yeah, yeah. It, it, well, it lets the kid know that you don't have to know everything. Mm-hmm. You know, because there is that
0: like. In my experience of being in, you know, late elementary, junior, senior high, not knowing something about sex was a criminal thing, right? It said you weren't experienced, you didn't know something, and it made it bad, and it made it, you created embarrassment and and discomfort, but to let, uh, from the parent's perspective of, yeah, I don't know, that the kid gets to know that we don't all know everything, and then they get to not know something, and I think that's also really important.
2: Yeah, Absolutely.
1: That was a pretty eye-opening thing for me as I became an adult, and I was like, wow, I don't know anything, and wow, nobody else knew anything either. <laughs> yeah. It's all a facade. <laughs> right? It, right. It, it It is, because there
0: is this magical thing, this magical, you know, you get married, and then all is, you know, everything, and it's just not, it's just not
2: how that goes. Exactly. No, it's far more complex than yes. your
1: childhood brain
2: thinks it is. Yes. It's almost like everything in life is nuanced. <laughs> uh, yes. But we do know, too, that kids can appreciate some of that nuance. So, yeah, I think it is validating to be able to be like, we don't have to have all the answers, but we can have that conversation and we can learn together. Right. Just a few other talking points for that 9 to 11 age
1: range. Um, once you do start having that conversation, letting kids know, Um, that porn or the sexual content they see on the internet isn't real sex. That porn is made for adults and it's entertainment. It's a performance. And that's not what real sex looks like when it's between two people. Talking to them about um, taking pictures without clothes on, taking pictures or videos without clothes on, letting them know that that's not appropriate And then letting them know that if someone does try to ask for that or sends photos like that, that they can go tell their safe adult. So whether that's their parent or if they do have another safe adult, really encouraging them to, if they are ever put into that situation, um, not only not do it, but also go and tell someone is what we really want to reiterate to them. Do you have language around
0: that that lets the kid know that where the inappropriateness lies, that it's not their body that's bad. It's mm. kind of a personal, private thing that, you know what I'm
1: saying? Yeah. So I talk to kids um, about private parts and why no one should ever look at, talk about, or touch our private parts, unless it's helping our bodies stay clean, healthy, or safe, is the language that I use. And that. Are those pictures or videos helping keep their body clean, healthy, or safe? No? Okay, then it shouldn't happen because those are your
2: private parts, and that's your body. And this is, again, that 9 to 11 age range. So let's talk about when we talk to more of those older kids, we have different kinds of conversations about like intimacy involved. But with 9 to
1: 11-year-olds, there's not going to be that uh, same intimacy intimacy dynamic that, um, would maybe be happening with, uh, like the 17, 18 year olds.
0: Right. I, yeah, I was just thinking of it because kids get so many messages about their body not being, you know, good enough, thin enough, perfect enough, whatever, that even though that, that, that's still, that that's there and it still feels like a delicate time about the message they get to their body. So
2: perfect. Yeah. I love the idea of adding something in there. You know, it's because your body is yours and it's not to share with people at this time. And the reason why we want our
1: bodies to be safe and why it's important to only have things that happen to our private parts that are clean, healthy, or safe is because we only get one body for our whole entire life. Mm-hmm. And so we need to know how to keep it safe because if we don't keep it safe, we have that's our body for forever. So really trying to
2: focus on like the safety perspective of it. And I think, too, we want to keep our bodies safe so our bodies can keep us safe. So also going back to those talking points
1: for the nine to 11 year olds, um, talking to them about what consent is and that sexual relationships do require consent by everyone involved the entire time, the entire time. Um, so there has to be trust and respect between the people and that if someone were to change their mind with that consent and withdraw it, that that's okay and that's their Right. And that just because someone was okay with something one time doesn't mean that they're okay with it every time, doesn't mean that they're okay with it if they were okay with it at the beginning, but now we're in the middle and they're not okay with it anymore. That's valid. And so having those conversations around consent. When I talk to kids about unsafe touches, unsafe touches are touches that hurt our bodies, they hurt our hearts, or they're touches that we just don't want to get. And so I teach kids, um, like my pre-K through third graders, about how if my friend is poking me in the arm, my body's not hurt, my feelings aren't hurt. I mean, it's a little annoying, but if I ask them to stop and they keep poking me in the arm, that becomes an unsafe touch. I've already let them know that I don't want that touch anymore. And so even something, just the example of something as small as that can really help teach consent in that right.
0: way. That's, yeah, that's a great example.
1: And then the other pieces that we have are that masturbation is something that is part of normal sexual development, but having conversations that it's done in private. That's something that we do to our own bodies. Um, we don't expose that to other people. Um, because like we said, looking at, talking about, or touching someone's private parts in a way that's not clean, healthy, or safe. And then just assuring them if they are receiving pressure from their friends, um, that's something that I think happens pretty often. Um, like you talked about the group of cousins and the boys are like, let's look up women's boobs. <laughs> yeah. If you do start receiving pressure from your friends, letting them know that it's okay to tell their friends no. Um, And that if their friends continue, um, that they should probably go tell an adult and have a conversation with an adult because their friends are pushing them into an unsafe spot that they don't want to be in and that it's okay to go get some help at that. Well, I mean, it's okay to go get help at any point, but definitely reassuring like that's when
2: I can come help you for sure. Mm -hmm. Some tips on things not to say to this group of 9 to 11 year olds because that's important too Um, we all want to say the right thing but sometimes we don't always know what that is but some things that are probably not super helpful to say uh, anything with an accusatory tone so anything you say no accusatory tone so nothing like who showed it to you where did you find that why are you watching it again um, it's a safe open place if we're asking kids those questions in those ways they're not going to feel safe in responding to us or having those conversations with us uh, we, we're we not going to frame it as something bad, evil, or manipulative because that's not going to deter them from watching it. And that's just going to deter them from having those conversations with you about watching it because they may still be watching it, but now they think that you as an adult think that they're bad for watching content that you've deemed bad. Uh, and then never force them to talk about it too and be supportive. So again, uh, this can be an ongoing conversation. You can bring something up once. Uh, And it can evolve from there whenever the kid's ready to talk about it. But if you start the conversation and they're just not in a place to start talking about it, don't force that on them because that's not going to create a good open culture in the long run.
1: And then just ending the conversation with some positivity. Um, So saying things like, you can always talk to me about anything. I'm not going to judge you. You won't be in trouble with me. We can learn together by talking about it, having a conversation, and by both putting in information, tell me what you see. I go and talk to fifth graders about sexual abuse and how it can happen online. Um, and I facilitate a dialogue with them and I really rely on them to have a conversation with each other. So I ask them, like, if you were to go home today, what, um, what apps would you go on? What would you What would you play on? And then we write them all up on the board. And then we go through one by one and say, could talking about happen? Could looking at happen? And I, I use the kids to tell me, like, have you seen something before? And they, I can guarantee you they do. We have really great conversations. And a lot of the times they're teaching me of what the talking about looks like or what looking at looks like on different apps. Um, so being able to say like having a back and forth conversation and saying, I I value your information too. Mm -hmm. Um, and then some other ways that you can end the conversation is, um, you might come across things or find things that are uncomfortable, or that you don't like, or I use the tummy feeling is how I talk to kids about their instincts. Kids understand that tummy feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you get something like that, if that does happen, you can stop watching and go tell someone that you're worried about it. And something else that I do in my sexual abuse prevention is Helping kids identify their safe adults. So maybe even following that up with, who are people that you feel like you could go talk to about this if you came across something, and identifying like tangible, real life people that they could contact, um, and maybe even talking about different ways that they could get in contact with them. That just really opens it up for kids to come back to um, if they do see something later on, or there is other things that
2: come up. So that's, that's our 9 to 11 age group. Um, there's a lot of similarities in the other two age groups, but some differences based on age. Thinking about 11 to 15-year-olds, so a little bit older, 9 to 11-year-olds may have been exposed to something pornographic on the internet by that time, or they may just be starting to have you know, like sex jokes and stuff with their friends. But these 11 to 15-year-olds is where we start to see more like sexualized behaviors from kids or... Um, They have been exposed to porn or they at least know what it is. They've maybe begun to have sex education. So we can have a little bit more in-depth conversations at this age. Uh, Again, always creating a safe environment. Absence of judgment is be the same for every age group, even adults. If you have conversations with adults about it, absent of judgment, right? Again, we're not sitting them down for a chat. I think about it too. Like, what do you think of when you're like watching a TV show or a movie and somebody comes in and they're like, we need to talk. Like what's about to happen? right like Mm -hmm. nothing good someone you know either somebody's gonna break up with somebody or maybe there was a death in the family it's always bad news when somebody says we need to talk so we don't want to create that kind of culture well Um, that is is i can
0: think you know when you're talking about the tummy feeling mm -hmm. that somebody says that and you're my you know my stomach just goes right and then anything after that you're just like oh my god right so you're not yeah it's not an open environment yeah,
2: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then again, to begin the conversation while doing something else together. Uh, and I love Kylie's tip of kind of looking in the same direction. So while you're driving in the car with them or yeah, gardening or whatever you're doing together, that it's not like, this is the whole center of everything. Is this very intense conversation we're going to have. It's like, nope, this creates the culture that it's going to be casual and that it's, it can be open a suggestion for a way to uh, start that conversation.
1: Um, I really like this one because it is relatable to the kids. So, so hey, um, this, this is kind of embarrassing for me to bring up, but I'm kind of worried about some stuff that I saw on the internet. I'm worried that you saw it too. Going back to like, when I'm on the internet, sometimes ads pop up or things, pictures have shown up. Um, does that happen on your phone? Um, so saying like, this is something that I've seen what's your experience, um, using that to start a conversation with them and opening it up to them and allowing them to, um, kind of take control there.
2: Normalizing that experience too. Yeah, for sure.
1: Um, and reducing shame, like to know that your parents are seeing that thing on their phone or that they're embarrassed to kind of talk about it makes it, but they're still having that conversation anyways can help reduce that shame, I think.
0: (laughs) And tell me if this is wrong thinking, but when i'm hearing you you guys talk about that, I'm thinking in the lack of judgment, like if you feel like you know or you know or you maybe saw something on the kid's phone that that question should leave a lead a yes answer to, mm-hmm. and they don't come out with it to not push that because they might be working their brain around how do I talk about this and to, to not push that or not poke at that and say, well, I, I know you saw this because I saw it on your phone. They might have to, in my mind, that that safe space might have to be created for a while for them to feel okay to come forward.
1: Yeah. So even then, if, if you know that they, if you've seen something and they bring it up and they deny it, I think a, a great response would be, okay, well, that if you do ever see it please come and talk to me because that's a conversation that's important for me to have with you. Um, and hearing that that's something that their parents want to talk to them about or their caregivers want to talk to them about. And then again, reassuring them, you're not going to get in trouble from the questions that you ask me allows them to say, okay, now I, I know that that's a safe spot to go to. And I am guessing that's going to be way more easier the next time you bring it up knowing that their parents said, okay, I'm not going to get in trouble. So I don't
2: have to deny it this time. Mm -hmm. And to your point as well, Judy, if you had seen something on your kid's phone and they deny it, and then you're like, well, I saw this thing. It's like, you're catching them in a lie, right? And that's not creating an open, safe environment. That's creating an environment like an aha, I caught you in the act kind of thing where that's not going to, that's not going to allow somebody to be able to have open and vulnerable conversations with you. If they feel like you're just trying to catch them in a lie or you're spying on them or whatever else it may be. And that's like
1: the accusatory <laughs> tone thing. Yeah. Of like where did you find that? I know that you've done it. So
2: why are you lying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an adult, I don't want to have conversations with people they are going to act like that. So not yeah, a child's
1: not going to want to.
2: So again, we're telling them that porn isn't real sex. It's made for an adult and it's a performance. So that's, It's not going to look like what sex may actually look like to them, especially, you know, as teens, as they're starting to explore their sexuality, it's going to look very, very differently than porn on TV. You know, it's probably going to be a lot more awkward and clunky, and there's going to be a lot of communication and talking, hopefully. then also telling kids that bodies look a lot of different ways. So to your point in the slash age group two, telling kids that bodies have pubic hair, and that's totally normal, and you can groom your own body however you want to. Because again, thinking about the content they're seeing in porn, these bodies, um, even just the way. they're groomed look a lot different probably than the way these teens' bodies are going to look like. So letting them know that, you know, that's completely normal and it's your choice, however you want to um, groom that. Um, this is also, this age group, we can we want to talk to them about racism in porn. So this is an abundant theme in porn. Uh, someone's race should never be fetishized and determining if you like something Uh, or not based on someone's race is offensive so having those conversations with kids too that race is not something to be fetishized we can talk that porn is full of cliches and it's as fake as some action movies so again a lot of those storylines like the repairman coming to fix the dishwasher is like one big like cliche or storyline in porn right so just talking about that like again this is a performance. This is as fake as action movies. It's, there's a director and there are actors and there's lighting, right? So it's not um, a real intimate experience. We want to tell kids that nobody should be expected to perform any sex acts in exchange for anything at any time. So again, um, laying down both consent, but also sex is not a transaction. So nobody should be exchanging things with you for sex. And having conversations with kids at this point that sex doesn't always have to be with somebody that you love because love is a completely nuanced subject and topic, right? Like who completely fully understands that, especially not teenagers. They're like, what does love mean? So sex doesn't always have to be with somebody you love, but it it should only happen with somebody you trust and somebody that treats you with respect. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think trust and respect can be easier things to understand than love. That's a very, very broad Ideas maybe. and somebody that you want to, yes, be having sex with. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yes, <laughs> right. Our don'ts for the eleven to fifteen year olds are just the same as um, anything with that accusatory tone. Who did? Who showed it to you? I know you're lying. Where did you find it? Why are you watching it? That doesn't help create that open conversation. So. Um, our, our tip is teach them, don't ban it. By banning it, that just shuts the conversation down from the get go. They they see this is something that it does not happen. We do not talk about it. It's not something I'm allowed to do. And so by being able to have more conversations around why I don't want you watching porn, or why I feel like this is potentially dangerous is going to help them understand more than just
2: saying no you're not going to right and then again we're just ending with positivity every time we're having these conversations um, if we're ending with any kind of negativity or confusion it's not really going to open it up for an ongoing conversation which we think that this conversation is ongoing um, so again you can always talk to me about anything you may feel embarrassed, but I will always listen. And it's okay to let them know too, if you're feeling a little embarrassed, again, that normalizes those feelings and those thoughts around the conversation. And then it also normalizes vulnerability. I think too, that it's, it's okay to have conversations about things that are embarrassing or hard. That's something like, I had to learn vulnerability in my twenties, right? It's not something I've always been really good at. Um, But I think that's a good way to begin to teach it at those ages. Again, if you get the weird feeling watching something, that probably means you're not enjoying it. You can always stop watching it, and if you're uncomfortable with what you saw, you can tell somebody. It's normal for you to be curious about sex and want to learn. However, porn is made for adults. Um, There are reliable sources for teens, and if you want, I can help you find some. So, again... uh, I've had some questions before, like, well, what porn do you suggest teens watch? It's like, well, ideally none, because it is made for an adult audience. So I can't be out here, like, promoting any (laughs) sort of porn, because it is made for an audience of 18 plus. But the thing is, we know that they are watching it, so we want them to be aware that what they are seeing could be harmful and problematic, and that those themes won't be present in real life. And then um, we'll share some resources with you all at the end um, of this conversation, too, that we can point teens in directions to point them in for like sex education resources. So
1: our last age group is 15 and up. So those late teenagers, and again, same idea, open conversation, not sitting down for a chat, maybe doing something at the same time that you're having the conversation, but then you can open it up really similarly to that 11 to 15 age group of like, this is kind of embarrassing for me to bring up, but I want to talk to you about porn and I'm not going to tell you not to watch it, but I want to talk to you about how most of what you might see can either be violent or not realistic. And I don't want you to think that what you see on porn is what sex is supposed to be. And then I'm not saying that sex is always about love, but it should, again, always involve mutual respect and trust. So, again, not shutting it down Automatically, and saying, No, you're not watching porn, but saying, Here's the reasons why I have problems with porn or why I wouldn't want you to watch it, Mm -hmm. um, and explaining it that way. Yeah, that
0: conversation around, you know, which again, it's a hard conversation or can be a challenging conversation, but you know, not only does, uh, does porn potentially put expectation on, on partners, it also puts expectations on ourselves and how we have to, you know, or we think we might have to show up in a relationship to be wanted, to be desired, to be valued. You know, what we need to, what we need to bring to the table can be very, you know, again, if you're not talking about those things, you're not opening the door to that relationship, right? And, and it, when you're in a relationship and we aren't taught to say, you know, what do you like? What feels good to you? What, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, everybody wants to be a TV star to an extent, right? Which can translate into your, your sexual experiences should feel like a porn movie, right? And that's an easy place to, to just, to jump into in, in a person's mind. And then if you go to do those things or you do things to a partner Because, well, that's what you saw, you know, that can really mess up that experience, right? And if you just don't know how, if you're not aware that you need to be mindful about that and, you know, not not slap somebody in the face because that's what you saw, (laughs) what you saw somebody do in porn. And then, you know, they're like, whoa, wait a minute. And and they see it as a, you know, huge violation. And you're like, well, geez, I just thought that was what we did, you know. Mm -hmm.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. That's some of the content you see in porn and then translating that to like, oh, this is what sex looks like rather than having conversations where like, I feel uncomfortable with that, but I want to really being able to have conversations. So that's another thing, like as a late teen and like learning about my own sexuality and sexual development, like having conversations about sex was like, I didn't do that. I just had sex. Right. 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 About it beforehand, so it's just like, oh, yeah, this is just something that happens, right? Instead of being able to point out things that you don't like or that you do like, or
0: right, yeah, and to be able to have preferences because, again, that's something, especially as women, I think that in porn, there's not a lot of focus on that. On what you know, as a woman, you're often there, and whatever happens, happens, and there isn't the preference, you don't get to speak your preferences. And we have a culture that says women standing up or, or, you know, not, and that standing up is too harsh of a word, but just having preferences and my gosh, we live in a culture that being a woman and wanting to be sexual is a challenge enough as it is, that's already seen as a negative, right? So it's, yeah, it's, I mean, there's a lot to navigate in this culture and then there's a lot to navigate as a parent or an adult trying to, to help kids have a better existence than you did, perhaps, right? Um, And I think one of the things that I have heard uh, Dan Savage say, and and other people as well, actually, is the whole concept of, you know, like you said, that you just had sex. It just happened, right? Male, female, it kind of, you know, where for gay men that, you know, he said that gay men are a lot more easy, it's a lot easier for them to talk about sex in general, because they can't have sex without talking about it. You have to know who's going to do what, right? So there's more of a conversation of what are you, what are you into that has to come out and you have to communicate, right? And I guess I think of things like you're saying, more in if you're watching straight porn and that's not there, it just, things just happen. So there isn't that communication that is is promoted. So, yeah.
1: And the other thing that they miss when they are only viewing pornography is whose pleasure is being valued Mm -hmm. and what does that how does that communicate to young women Mm -hmm. like yeah and yeah you touched on that too of like it's just that they are there for a specific purpose and maybe they haven't seen their um their own pleasure being valued
2: in the same way as the male partners so they don't even know how to ask male partners now speaking of heterosexual relationships like It's hard for, you know, teens or people coming into their sexuality to even know what to ask from male partners because, like, there's – the role of women in porn is, like, pretty narrow. So they're like, I don't even know what to ask or, like, what would feel good or how to ask. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. After opening up that conversation with those older teenagers, just – Things um, really similar to what we've said before, but that porn's not real and pe- it's people performing, and that's not what real sex looks like. Um, you may have already started having sex, and maybe you've been made to feel like you have to act a certain way or perform a certain way when you're having sex, but you don't, um, and that sex looks different for every individual person. Um, Again, touching on that bodies are natural and hairy and they grow pubic hair and that's normal. You see a very specific type of groomed private parts in pornography and you get to groom your body however you want. And because of how it looks in porn is not the only way that it has to look. Um, And then again, racism is abundant in porn, people's races should not be fetishized. um, And determining if you like something or it's attractive to you based on their race is offensive, that's fetishizing. Um, And we should be engaging with individuals, again, that we respect and trust and not just because of the way that they look.
2: Some other things we can tell them, um, could have, again, some of those more in-depth conversations about porn and the structure. So mainstream porn profits from making you believe that cliches are real. Uh, so you always want to know that what you're watching is designed to make money and the performer's pleasure is secondary. So, um, porn isn't created for people to just watch sex, right? Porn is created to make money. It's a transaction. So that's first and foremost, and then pleasure is always going to be secondary, um, in what they're seeing nobody should be expected again to perform sex acts in exchange for money or other things another good point is I'm not going to tell you what to do but if you really want to watch porn you should try finding some more ethical stuff so mainstream porn is not representative of everything that is out there um you know again we're thinking about this 15 plus so kids may have like money or access to cards or they're just have the ability to surf the internet for something other than just the first porn website to pop up Mm -hmm. you know they usually have their own personal cell phone and their resources and again i'm not going to tell you what to do i've already told you not to watch porn i'm not encouraging you to watch porn but if you do just be cognizant of what you're consuming out there and then we talk more to this age group too about sexting so um It's a normal act that requires consent. However, when children or minors are involved, those images may be interpreted as child pornography under some state laws. So I want you to have all the information you need to keep yourself safe. Again, so we're not just using an abstinence only approach to sexting, but letting them know that there could possibly be some ramifications. So, really just looking at what that looks like locally to you if you want to start those conversations with kids. But it's, again, a really important topic to not approach from shame, not telling kids, like, if you send a naked picture of yourself, it's going to be out there on the internet forever because, like, that's terrifying to kids. We're not trying to terrify them out of this behavior. We're not trying to induce, like, uh, suicidality in these kids, thinking that, like, they sent this picture and now it's out there for everyone to see forever and it's going to impact your life forever. That can be really, really harmful messaging to kids. So, again, we're never... We don't want to approach those conversations with that kind of shame. But respectfully letting them know that there could be some legal consequences and it's important to know about them before making decisions about sexting. And then they get to make whatever decision they think is best for them.
1: And then our last little spot here just again not bringing in the accusatory tone um, and ending with positivity and again I think embracing that vulnerability saying you know they make me a little uncomfortable too but it's something important for us to talk about and even saying well why why does it make us uncomfortable because we don't talk about it so the more that we are able to talk about it the less uncomfortable or embarrassed it becomes If you get a weird feeling while watching something, that probably means you're not enjoying it. You can always stop watching it. Um, If you're uncomfortable with what you saw, go tell someone that you trust. Um, Again, helping them identify who those people might be. And it's normal for you to want to watch it, but try and think about what you're watching and how it affects you because what you're watching is most likely violent or misogynistic and helping them kind of learn around that can be helpful too.
0: I like what you said in your whole question of why does this make us uncomfortable and embarrassed, you know, bringing everybody, everybody into it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Just embracing that like vulnerability is such an interesting thing among humans. Um, It's so uncomfortable and it's something that we literally all experience but because that discomfort we keep it in and the more that we normalize that the more that shame or that discomfort dissipates and becomes more easier to discuss
2: Uh, which reminds me now to something Judy you and I were just talking about recently about sitting in our own discomfort as adults Um, you brought up the show Big Mouth yes uh, Kylie and I are both big fans of
1: uh-huh. I love Big Mouth. Yes. It is. I
0: think it is a great gateway for parents who need to talk to kids and don't know how, or just need to get more comfortable with it themselves, because it's it's you know it's a cart it's a cartoon, it's an for adults, right? And I think it is it is a really interesting thing of what what parts of it make you uncomfortable, and I do think is there's the challenge of if you are watching it. And you're really uncomfortable. Yeah, I do think the look of what makes me, what makes me uncomfortable about this. And if I have to go talk to kids, it's great. They handle so many wonderful topics Mm -hmm. that for parents to look at this and go, these are the things my kids potentially are seeing, hearing, talking about. This is the stuff that might be coming up. And to look at the show and go, oh, that's not real. That's these are no, these are not only adult topics these are kid topics they were kid topics when we were kids for god's sakes so in different ways but you know but they were there yeah i think it's a fascinating show
2: so many of those episodes brought me immediately back to like specific memories of growing up because i just related to so much of that content and i think it is easy for adults to like forget that children and teens like speak a completely different language than we do as adults and they understand the world differently and they navigate the world differently. And I think that that show is a great example of a show for adults to watch when they're thinking about approaching these potentially uncomfortable topics. Cause it's like, yeah, these are experiences your kid might be having. And, uh, so it's just a good refresher to like, this is potentially where they're at and this, they're going to feel embarrassed and awkward and you might feel embarrassed and awkward, but yeah, thinking about what makes you uncomfortable and how we can potentially use that to our advantage to start these conversations.
0: And Big Mouth handles things from a lot of different perspectives. It examines things from a lot of different perspectives. So it's, I think, it's also a great tool that helps you process through some of the options of ways you might think about it, or a way your kid might approach or experience something.
2: Yes, Big Mouth on Netflix, highly <laughs> recommend. Um, just for your general entertainment, but also if you plan to begin to have some of these conversations with youth, it's a great
0: jumping off point. Yeah. What other resources do you guys have for, for parents and kids?
1: Yeah. So that Amaze website is a big one. Amaze.org. Planned Parenthood is a really great resource. They actually have stuff for preschool age, school age, teenagers. Um, They break it down to be developmentally appropriate, Um, So they've got tips, advice, facts, information about sex, relationships, puberty, uh, sexual orientations, gender identity. um, So a a more inclusive approach
2: um, all around Planned Parenthood. Um, Also in some areas, it would be interesting to look into your local Planned Parenthood, but Kylie was talking earlier about it's kind of up to the school district who provides a sex education in some areas, Planned Parenthood provides those sex educators into the school systems. I want to give a shout out to my friend, Genevieve who originally helped me develop the content for my original presentation. She was a former sex educator with Planned Parenthood too. Nice. Yes. So I love hearing, hearing her stories and experiences of when she got to go into the schools and talk with teens about sex. She had a lot of great like examples of, you know, Things that are going through teens' minds and the stuff they do want to know that they're not having answered in, like, a typical sex education that's maybe a week or two long by their health teacher.
1: A few others are Sex Etc. So, Sex ETC. Um, and that's sex education by teens for teens, which I think is super awesome. And then there's also one called Scarlet Teen. So, it's S C A R L E T E E N. Um, And that's sex ed um, for, it's a sex ed for the real world. So it tries to really be inclusive and comprehensive while making it realistic and showing sex and healthy relationships for what they are. And that one's for teenagers as well, or young adults. My other resource is uh, First Witness. I tell families to call me and ask me questions all the time. Like I can be your sounding board. Um, as an advocate, that's what I'm supposed to do is be here for the community's family and kids. And so if you give me a call and say, hey, hey my kid just said something super weird, or I don't know how to respond to this, um, just having someone to kind of bounce ideas off of can be really helpful of how they want like, to plan how they want to have that conversation. So that's um, definitely a resource as well.
0: Wonderful. What do you do in situations where you do have people who say this conversation is not okay you have no right to teach my children you know or in my you know an abstinence only is the way to go and, and you know just that we're not going to
2: have this in our household mm-hmm. yeah that's a great question we've definitely had people like challenge us with some of their questions when we are presenting at conferences but I think what really just gets them to listen to our perspective and you know people can form their own opinions just about anything but The reason that we include so many of the stats and infographics at the beginning of our presentation is to get people to realize that like whether we're telling kids to watch this or not, they are, they do have access to it. So we want you to be prepared to prepare them to make safe and healthy decisions for themselves. And we we just need you to know what kids are exposed to because if you don't know what they're exposed to, they don't have anyone to go talk to about it and it can get dangerous. So just really laying it out that like, whether you want them to watch it or not, they may have seen it. So like, that's why we have to talk about it.
0: Well, and I know I knew somebody who knew the person who did the study in Texas about abstinence only and finding out that abstinence only didn't work, that She really wanted it to work. She wanted abstinence only to be the answer. That was the outcome she really wanted. It just didn't turn out that way. (laughs) So I think that's also an interesting, interesting piece of this too. And we see examples of that as well. You know, again, I know people who grew up with abstinence only and had things happen to them and they just didn't, they just didn't know. They just didn't have that education. And you can't just say, well, my kids would never do X or my kids would never be, it just, we can't say that. It just doesn't work.
1: And I think we have to remember too, that it's natural. Sexual development is a natural thing. We can't curb that. We can't just ignore it. Like we raise kids to, like I said earlier, teach them how to be safe. When I go talk to kids, I frame this as a safety issue. And I ask them, what ways do you keep your body safe already? We talk about putting a seatbelt on in the car. We talk about wearing a helmet on our head when we ride a bike. Just like that, how we teach kids to keep their bodies safe, how we teach kids to eventually grow into an adult and what kind of adult do we want them to grow into if we're not providing them with those tools or this education, or the conversations, it doesn't just magically happen when they turn 18, and now they're officially an adult. What we expose children to as their children directly affects who they become into a functioning adult. And so I think I would just really try to reassure people that there's Resources for this to be age appropriate. I think that's the scary piece of it. Is like they're kids; they should not be having sex. That's an adult thing. Mm-hmm. But we ha- we can't agno- we can't just not acknowledge the fact that sexual development starts from birth, um, and we grow into a sexual adult. But how do we have conversations so that our kids can grow into sexual
2: adults? Mm-hmm, Yeah, <laughs> reminding people too that like children. And young adults and adolescents, teens, they're people, you know, they they have very complex thought processes and they can like appreciate nuance and we can have this idea of what we want our kids to turn out to be, but they are their own person. So we want to prepare them to become their own person with all of the tools and resources for them to make decisions to keep themselves happy and safe and to turn into, you know, the adults that they want to be and not who we want them to be. Being able to appreciate that we can have, we can talk to kids more than we think we can, you know, again, age appropriate thinking about what that looks like, but kids are complex. Well, and listening to the words that they say, what are they saying? What are they talking about?
0: What's going on here in their heads, you know, and working from there mm-hmm. instead of saying, oh, you're too young to have that thought. Close that down. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. It's like,
1: but, but they're that
2: age and they are
1: having that thought. So how do we? Yeah. So are they too young if they can? Yeah formulate the question or formulate the thought obviously they're not too young
0: (laughs) right right
1: and
2: that's
0: it okay well so share share how to reach you at first witness if people did want to reach out to you and and yeah both of you if you want to share your information and what people reach out to you for that would be great
2: yeah absolutely i'll share my email um anybody can email me if they have any questions about content Non related to the sex education, that's probably more of Kylie's wheelhouse, those questions. But mine is C-doll, um, C Doll, C is in cat, D is in dog, A H L, at firstwitness.org. You can reach me there. Okay. And
1: I um, encourage folks, you can either find us online, super easy, it's just First Witness uh, Child Advocacy Center. We have an Instagram, we have a Facebook, um, you can Google it really easy. Um, otherwise my email is K, uh, and then pass, like pass the ball, P-A-S-S at first witness.org. Okay. That's a way that folks could get a hold of us. Um,
2: otherwise just find in our phone number. Um, yeah, not our phone number, the agency's. The number. agency's. I just don't call my cell phone with your sex question. <laughs> That's not the kind of job you
0: yeah. <laughs> Right. <laughs> So, if, if, um, would people reach be able to reach out to you if they were like, oh my gosh, we need to have this conversation with, you know, my group of people?
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. I have even like organizations have reached out to First Witness and I'll go do presentations. I've, I've spoke at a church, I've spoke at multiple churches actually about sexual abuse prevention. Mm-hmm. Um, I've spoken to, uh, um, like an ECFE kind of setting. Anything like that, we're always willing to go do some community education. Our perspective at First Witness is uh, child abuse is not an individual issue. It's a societal issue. Um, and so we really focus on having our whole community raise awareness and be more educated to hopefully end the uh, cycle of child abuse someday.
2: <laughs> right. Well, it's a big goal, but it's a good goal. <laughs> We love presenting this content too. So if you have an event where you think this con- um, content would be appropriate in your, or you want to host this as a presentation in your community too, that's something you could reach out to us about. We are planning to present this online through a Zoom training for a small fee. So follow us on First Witness on Facebook or firstwitness.org to see any details for that. We'll also be presenting this in the Zoom format to a community so that's somewhere people could ask questions as well. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, I do
0: think that there's so much value in being able to have people together in a room and having this conversation. Again, it's just that little bit of of normalization that is just so, I don't think people really, if they stop and think about it, I think they kind of do, but I don't think people realize the benefits that Go out that ripple out into the world into our lives into our daily lives of having being able to have these conversations I just i I think there's a lot of just unawareness or or maybe denial or just the discomfort in thinking about it of how much uh, being able to talk about sex sexuality in all different forms really affects more of our daily lives than we think. I mean, I've known multiple marriages that have ended because they couldn't communicate about sex, right? And, you know, that's that's a sad thing, right? And then they sometimes can't even communicate with people about why their marriage didn't go well because they that's not okay either, right? Not that you want to tell everybody your business, but I think because some people have have discovered that I'm a safe person to talk about some of those things with, they will share things with me that they won't necessarily share with other people. And it's like how sad that could have been solved, right? That could have, and it doesn't even mean they wouldn't have even gotten together in the first place. It means that bad patterns wouldn't have started that couldn't necessarily be undone because they were too ingrained, right? So, you know, these things, we're talking about these things with kids, but really everything that you're saying goes to adults as well. I mean, this is just such important stuff. So yay for your important work. Thank you for putting yourself out there because I know it's a conversation. You know, I have a, I have a sex podcast too. And, the you know, people listen. They won't necessarily talk about it on Facebook, but they'll listen, you know. And when you do get that private conversation with people, they, people are hungry to have these conversations. They're hungry for things to change, but they don't know how to be the catalyst for that. So I think the work that you're doing with being able to open the doors with kids, that's
2: so important. Yeah, we definitely, the very first time I presented this at a conference, I did not know what to expect from an audience. I'm like, is nobody going to come? Because the title of our session is porn. Let's talk about it. So I'm like, are people going to see porn? And they're just like, absolutely not. We're not going to go. But we filled the room. People were sitting on the floor. They were standing in the back. And then that was our experience again at a statewide conference that we presented at in March Which, yeah, there was about 250 people in the room. So people come for all different reasons. Like maybe they're like, oh, porn, this will be a fun topic to talk about. We're going to go talk about it. Or, oh, there's people here talking about porn and this is something I don't know a lot about and I need to go learn from it. So people come and want to know this content for a lot of different reasons. And we welcome everybody to the conversation. Kind of no matter what your perspective is, too, we want to hear your thoughts and your perspective, even if they're different than ours. I think we can learn from each other. Right. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you guys so much for taking your time and, and having this conversation. I just think, yeah, I think this is a big one. And it's, it's important. And, you know, I hope the landscape can change. I mean, I think that with the internet and with everything that's available, it's, our world is shifting. And that's no, that's not going to go backwards. You know, mm-hmm. what's the song from Avenue Q, internet or what is it the internet is made for porn something like that um which you know may not exactly be true but it is there and how do we how do we do this responsibly you know um and help everybody have have it not be a a scary and hurtful thing to people so i think we can do it that it's going to take a bit of work absolutely awesome
2: thank you so much for having us i'm glad we were finally able to connect yeah Uh, yeah we're just very excited about this opportunity so thank you for Wanting us to share our content as well, we we're pretty passionate about this topic, and we love talking.
0: Yeah, no, I I totally agree. I think you know my podcast is a health and wellness podcast, right? And this is all about our well being in our heads, with our partners, in our communities. Again, this goes out to our communities. This these shifts they make a difference in our community, and I think we just don't we just don't see that because it's so are culturally it's seen as so private and personal and yes that is and can be true however there's effects so yeah awesome well thank you yes thank thank you. you i want to thank katie and kylie for all of the work that they do this piece of it that we're talking about today is just one small piece of the work they do so thank you so much for all of it Thank you for listening. Definitely check out the show notes pages. I've got some resources and some other information and in there and a way to connect with them. If you do want to have them uh, speak to any groups that you're doing or working with, definitely connect up with them. Oh, and I have a story I have to share with you. I have permission to share this. A friend of mine put a post on social media that was absolutely hilarious and related. Imagine yourself in this situation. What would you say? So they're traveling across country. They stop at a restaurant for food. And the daughter says to the dad, pointing at a building across the street, Hey, dad, what exactly is an adult superstore? Dad says, it's a store where they sell things specifically for adults. Daughter says, like what? Dad says, I can't tell you because such things are specifically for adults, not kids. Daughter says, Then why does the sign say we have toys? Dad, Uh. Ah, the job of parenting. One of the comments was, That's what you get for teaching them how to read. (laughs) Good to come prepared and have some tools in your back pocket, but uh, you can't plan for everything. And while I'm talking about stuff, we talked about the show Big Mouth on Netflix and. If you have watched that show or you start watching that show and you're kind of like, ooh, this isn't necessarily for me. It's one of those shows that, you know, kind of takes things almost too far or in some cases too far. Um, But usually the payoff is is there and available. And I would just say, (laughs) season four hadn't come out when we did this interview. And it feels like it's a little different and just takes everything just a little bit farther. I just have to tell you. If you watch anything, season four, episode seven, um, there's some total gems in there, but one of my favorite that I just have to share with you, when there's about 22 minutes and 40 seconds left, the castle scene, totally worth it. Totally hilarious. I would love to hear what people think of it. (laughs) Anyway, I think it's awesome. Awesome. And it's probably what a lot of women are underneath dying to say. So uh, check it out. All right. On that note, have a fantastic week. Take good care of yourselves. Be safe. Please travel safely and thoughtfully if you are traveling somewhere for the holidays. And until next time, I hope in your search you find pieces that fit beautifully Into your personal health and wellness puzzle. Take good care. Talk to you next time.